Okay, let's bring it in. So uh, Bill's going to be speaking this morning, and Bill is tracking through once a month. I had a wonderful Saturday with Bill, actually, last, last weekend. I spent the whole day with him. He had no idea. But I was, I was painting my bedroom, and um, I had your Bible with Bill podcast going, and I listened to about four of them. I really enjoyed it. Um, so if you'd like to catch up with previous Bill talks, um, all of our talks are on our website, uh, on the talks page. Um, these, the Bible with Bill is a series that he's doing, um, which we're on, YouTube, on our YouTube channel as well. So uh, I, I highly recommend them. So are you good to go, sir? Oh, yeah, sounding good. Yeah. With oven on. I think so. Oh, yeah, it works. Um, good. <laughs> um, you'll see that the, uh, the speakers have a new toy. Um, I feel like Britney Spears. <laughs> Sorry? I don't look like her. Well, you just hang on a second. <laughs> How was I supposed to know? Thank you very much. Um, so, uh, yeah, where was I? Oh, yes. So, for, it's, it's a little loud, I think. Is it a little loud? Um, if we can just take the edge off a bit. That's great. Um, so the next three uh, talks I'm going to do, kind of once a month leading up to Easter, uh, we're looking at John 14, um, just one chapter in John's Gospel, uh, because it's the start of everything that Jesus says to the disciples uh, during the Last Supper. Um, but, and, and it's full of amazing teaching. Uh, but today I just want to focus on one verse, um, John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in particular, he says, I am the way. And my exam question this morning, the, the one question I want to answer is, what's it mean? I, mean, it's, I think it's kind of the obvious question. Um, because it's ambiguous, isn't it? It could mean all sorts of different things. When he says, I am the way, it could mean, um, I am the way to live. My example is an example of how to live your life. So follow my way of, of living. Um, I was prompted to, to ask this question by a song we sang about three weeks ago which is, it, the chorus is this, this verse. And if we can have the next slide. Uh, this is the first verse of this, this song that we all sang. So it says, through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, you're my fortress, you're my portion, you're my hiding place. And it's kind of saying, in life we all experience troubles and difficulties and challenges. But there is a way there's a way through those challenges and struggles in life. And that way is Jesus. So there's another meaning. Um, is he a way to live? Is he a way through the struggles and challenges of life? It's ambiguous. 
Now, I'm not necessarily criticizing this because I, I think that's true. You know, Jesus is a way through, for many of us, is a way through the difficulties and challenges of life. But the thing is, is that how the Bible works? Do we just read into his words what we think they mean? Or when he said, I am the way, did he actually mean something? Did he have something in mind? Was there a message that he was trying to communicate to us? Especially given he is the word. You know, in other words, he is God's big, biggest message to us. So his words, there must have been, as Alice talked about before, authorial intent. You know, when Jesus said, I am the way, was there a specific meaning that he wanted us to understand? That's, um, that's my question this morning. If you're asking a question like this of the Bible, what's the first thing you should do? Well, there's an obvious thing, which is what's the context? When did he say this? What was going on when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life? Well, it's the Last Supper. So it's his last evening with the disciples, and they share this meal. Uh, later that evening, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be taken first to the, uh, the chief priest's house, and then to Pontius Pilate. And so it's his final time with the disciples. And at the, at the end of chapter 13, Judas leaves to go out and betray him. And as you read the text, there's this, this sudden urgency. Um, that it, it kind of steps up a gear. You, you sense that Jesus recognizes time is short, and here's some important stuff that I need to say. And there's an intensity that increases. And one of the first things he says is, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. And Peter says, where are you going? And Jesus kind of answers and says, well, <laughs> thing is, Peter, uh, where I'm going, you can't follow. And Peter's outraged by this. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll never betray you. I'll never let you down. And Jesus kind of says, well, actually, Peter, it's not going to work out quite like that. Um, in, in the end, you're not going to be quite the hero that you imagine you're going to be. But uh, everything that Jesus says at the start of chapter 14, I think, is an answer to Peter's question. Where are you going? Let's have a look at it. Let's read the context. These are the first six verses of chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah, I'm no, I know this is a shock. I know this is, you know, I've sprung this news on you that I'm, I'm leaving you alone. But do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be, may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there we have it. It's simple. It's clear. The way Jesus is talking about is the way to the Father's house. 
or at least in the first paragraph, he's talking about going to the father's house. And he's saying, you know the way to that place. And then in the last, last paragraph, he, he kind of equates the father's house with the father. I am the way. No one comes to the father except through me. So there we are. He is the way to the Father's house, which means he is the way to the Father, the way to the Father's presence. Great, clear. Any questions? Well, yeah, quite a few. Um, <laughs> his answer raises as many questions as it answers. I mean, there are problems here. It's still ambiguous. It's still confusing, I think. For example... Um, Look at verse two, uh, the second verse. My father's house has many rooms. Uh, no, no, stay on the same one, please, Rich. There we go. My father's house has many rooms. Is that literal? Does God live in a house? Is it some kind of spiritual house, like a mansion in the sky? I mean, lots of Christians do read this fairly literally. We're all going to live in God's big house in the sky. But is that how we should read it? I mean, when I read this, an image comes to my mind because he says that he's going to this big house to prepare, uh, that there are rooms in this house for everyone, and he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, Alice mentioned earlier there are three billion Christians in the world at the moment, roughly speaking. And I, I in my mind, I get this premier inn, this heavenly premier inn with about three billion bedrooms. And Jesus is wearing the purple uniform and he's going around from room to room, just turning down the bedclothes and putting a chocolate on the pillow. Is that what's going on? It's... Doesn't that seem a bit childish, a childish way of reading it? It's quite literal. It's quite absurd. Or is it? Am I being too skeptical? What do you think? But also, the, the, the disciples are asking kind of geographical questions. You know, where are you going? I love Thomas. <laughs> Thomas is a skeptic. He wants clarity and certainty. He's a plain-speaking, plain-thinking guy. We don't know where you're going. You keep saying we, know where you we don't know where you're going. Where the heck are you going? Um, he, he, wants, he wants directions. He wants to know where you turn left and where you keep going straight. And Jesus says, I am the way. Well, in what way is a person a set of directions to a place? What does it mean? It's still ambiguous. What I love about Thomas in verse 5 is what John's doing here. He's showing us that Jesus was confusing. Now, we, when we read this, if you're like me, you think, am I being stupid? Is the problem with me? You know, is it just that I'm not religious enough or not intelligent enough? And that's why it's confusing. And what John's doing, and it's one of the themes that runs right through his gospel, is people not understanding Jesus. 
know, Nicodemus in, in chapter 3 is, is a teacher of the law and he comes to Jesus at night. And in two sentences, Jesus lost him. And people are always misunderstanding. And I think what John's showing us is, yes, this is con- Jesus speaks in riddles. It's not plain. It's not clear. And there's a reason for that. Um, welcome to John's gospel. This is what John's gospel is like. The other three gospels are more similar to each other than, than John. John's kind of out on his own. And one of the things that makes him distinctive is this, this kind of sense that all the time the real meaning is under the surface. There's a lot more going on than meets the eye. But it's kind of hard to put your finger on. And, and w- one of the kind of side things I want to do in this mini-series is kind of show how that works and how to read it so that we can try and take that deeper meaning and bring it to the surface. Um, and, and one thing we're going to do in, uh, particularly today is there's this thing that Tim Mackey calls hyperlinks. You know in um, when you're looking at a document on, on the web, uh, when it has a hyperlink, it's in a different color and it's underlined and you hover your mouse over it. And if you click on it, it takes you to a different page. So it, it makes links between different documents and you can expand on just that word. John's gospel is full of these hyperlinks. It's like every little bit of the gospel is talking to other bits of the gospel. And when you follow those links, it all kind of builds up to a picture. And these things that are, are obscure and mysterious and hard to understand on their own, when you put the pieces together, it begin, you begin to see a bigger, deeper picture. And what I want to do is show uh, how that works with this particular example. So here's our first hyperlink. Uh, next slide, please, Rich. So I've just extracted uh, verse 2 here. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Now, the, the word for room... The Greek word for room that um, John uses here is not the normal Greek word for room. It's a very unusual word. It's mone. Um, Mone. It's the noun form of the verb meno. And meno means to stay or to remain, which is a big theme in John. Um, But here he's taken the noun form, mone. This is a very technical bill. Why are we doing this? Because it's so rare, it only occurs twice in the whole New Testament. Mone only occurs twice in the whole New Testament. Guess where the other example of the use of mone is? It's the same chapter. Okay, let's wind on 21 verses Uh, Next slide, please. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them. And we, in other words, me and my father, will come to them and make our home with them. Now, home here, even though it's a different English word in the NIV, it's the same Greek word, money, because it means a place to stay, a place to remain. So hang on. Do we think that's coincidence that John echoes the same word 
in these two different places that's used nowhere else in the New Testament. No, it's a hyperlink. He's making the connection between these two situations. But hang on a minute. Are we talking about a heavenly premier inn with three billion rooms that we will go to at some point in the future? Or are we talking about Jesus bringing the Father to be present with us in this world? Are we talking about here and now on earth? Or are we talking about us going in the future to heaven? Which? The two very different pictures. Which is it? Welcome to John's Gospel. Next hyperlink. Um, Next slide, please. Same verse, verse 2. My father's house has many rooms. Now, if you get really familiar with John's gospel, when you read that little little phrase, my father's house, it's an echo. You think that's, uh, Jesus has used that phrase somewhere before. Now, where was it? Ah, Good knowledge, Paul. Did you hear that? Jesus clearing the temple. In, in the other three Gospels, they put Jesus clear. You know, when he, he drives out the, the dealers and the money changers from the, from the temple courts. All the other Gospels put that at the end, in Jesus' final week. Um, John puts it right at the start, in chapter 2. And Jesus is clearing the, the money changers and the dealers out of the temple courts. And he says this. Next slide, please. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Coincidence? Maybe. But so here he's using this phrase, my father's house, to refer to the temple in Jerusalem. So is my father's house the heavenly premier inn, or is it the temple in Jerusalem? Well, here's a really interesting thing. Uh, what happens next? Jesus clears the, the dealers out of the temple, and then people object, and they say, what authority do you have to be doing? Who do you think you are to be clearing all these honest businessmen out of the temple courts? Give us a sign that you have authority to do this. And Jesus, in answer to them, he says, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it again in three days. But then John kind of turns to the reader. He helps us out here. And he says, yeah, he, he's, he said temple, but what he was really talking about was his body. And we think, oh, right, yeah. So, so Jesus is talking about the temple but actually, he's talking about his body while standing in the temple. Um, and somehow, these two have become merged in our minds in this story in John t- chapter 2 of cleansing the temple. Um, now, this is confusing, so let's have a recap. Um, using the phrase, my father's house, we have a hyperlink between what Jesus is saying in John chapter 14 about I am the way to a previous incident much earlier on where he's in the temple and he makes a connection between the temple and his own body. 
what the heck is going on? Welcome to John's Gospel. Well, let's have a little think. How did the Jews understand the temple? What was the Jewish understanding of what the temple was? Here's a little picture to help uh, show you. So in, in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, this is the picture. You had earth, which is the place where humans exist, and you had heaven, which what heaven fundamentally is, is it's God's realm. It's the place where God exists. And in the Garden of Eden, those two fully overlapped. God was present and human was present. Um, you remember the story of the God the Father walks with Adam in the cool of the day. It's one shared space. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens. And those two spaces, those two realms, heaven and earth, are divided. And we get this picture. So the earth, the world, and heaven are separated almost entirely. There's one place on the surface of the earth where they overlap, where God's realm still exists. It's like an outpost of heaven. Where is that place? The temple in Jerusalem. And that's the point of the temple in Jerusalem. It's the one place on earth where God's presence is. And that's why the temple is decorated with all these leaves and, and trees and fruit and reminders of the garden. Because that is the one place on earth where heaven and earth overlap. And now Jesus in in John chapter 2 is saying, well, you know the temple. Obviously, you know the temple. You're Jews, and we're here, and I've just clear, clear, cleared out the money changers. Well, in some strange way, my body is doing the same job. My body is the link between heaven and earth. So now we've got our three pictures. We've got this idea of a heavenly premier in where we can go to be in God's presence. We have this second picture, which is of people who believe, and Jesus brings the Father's presence to them in this earth, here and now. And then you have this third picture, a reminder that there is this place where heaven and earth overlap, the one place on earth. And somehow Jesus is linked in all these three. Do you see how, even though these are three very different images, very different snapshots, there's a common theme? There's a deeper principle underlying them, which is that there is a bridge. There's a bridge between earth and heaven, and that bridge is Jesus. There's a way for humans to get to the Father, and that way is Jesus. I said there'd be three hyperlinks. Here's the third and final one. This is my favorite. Uh, very first chapter in John. John is, is uh, Jesus is scooting around uh, in Galilee, recruiting his team. And he's picking up the disciples one by one. And Nathaniel joins the team. And, and John describes in chapter one how, how Jesus recruits Nathaniel. 
And Nathanael's introduced to Jesus, and Jesus demonstrates that even though they've never met before, Jesus knows everything about Nathanael. You know, he tells him something that he saw him doing earlier that day, sitting underneath a fig tree. And, Daniel's, uh, and Nathanael's mind is blown by this. He said, he's amazed, and he says, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. <laughs> and Jesus says, impressed by that, well, listen to this. And next slide, please. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What? A? Obscure, confusing, puzzling, ambiguous? What on, what on earth does that mean? You may notice that um, Jesus is quoting. You see the um, inverted commas? He's quoting something. And, and a modern Bible will help you because it'll give you a footnote. And you'll see that he's quoting Genesis 28. Now, what happens in Genesis 28? Well, there's this guy called Jacob. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. And Jacob falls asleep and has a dream. And he dreams of a ladder. And this, where does it, what does this ladder do? Well, it connects heaven and earth. And the very same nine or so words, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on, is, that's quoted in, um, in Genesis about the ladder. But in John 1, Jesus changes it. He uses exactly the same words that he used in Genesis to describe the ladder. But how does Jesus apply them? Who does he apply them to? The son of man. He's saying what, the, what Jacob saw the ladder doing, bridging heaven and earth, that's now my job. I bridge heaven and earth. Do you see? It's the same message. It's a completely different hyperlink, different situation, different part of the Bible, but it's just underlining the point. It's the same message. Jesus is, Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is the bridge. Um, next slide, please, Rich. Should be blank. This principle is reinforced throughout John again and again and again. What does I am the way mean? It means if you want to know the Father, if you want to experience the Father, if you want to taste heaven, if you want to have that experience, I am the way. And in fact, I'm the only way. There is no other way between earth and heaven. If you want to know the Father, it comes through me. And that principle is reinforced again and again and again, and it kind of begs the question, if that's the principle, that Jesus is the only way to the Father, how does that apply to me? How does that apply to my life? Uh, this is one of the most controversial things 
that Jesus says because it's so exclusive. Um, People are outraged by this claim. I am the way to the Father and no one else is. That's what Jesus is saying. I had to think twice. Is this something I want to talk about this morning? You know, at a time of heightened religious tension around the world, isn't it kind of easier just to kind of gloss over the fact that Jesus makes this astonishing, bold claim, this outrageous claim? I thought twice. But I think there are two options. There are only two options. It is either outrageous because it's false or it's true. There can't be a middle ground. It's such an exclusive, bold claim. I am the way to the Father and no one comes to the Father except through me. It's either outrageous or it's true. It's ironic that in this, in this chapter full of ambiguities, Jesus is completely unambiguous on this point. If you want to know the Father, the only way is through me. But here's another thing about this claim. Its very boldness makes it testable. It's, it's both a bold claim, but it's also a promise and an invitation, I think. Because it kind of says, try. Do you want to know the Father? Do you want to taste heaven? There's a huge signpost saying, this is the way you'll do it. Are you brave enough to have a go? It seems to me that many people who reject the claim because they find it so outrageous, I just wonder how many of them have actually tried it for themselves. Because it seems to me that we can be equally bold. It invites us to be equally bold with him. We can pray something like, um, Jesus, you make this outrageous claim, and I'm not sure whether to believe you or not. I don't know if you're speaking the truth or not, but I want to know. Now, if it's true, would you show me? Because I want to know the Father. I want to experience the Father. I want that taste of heaven that you seem to be promising here. Are you, do you measure up to this outrageous statement? Anyone can pray that. Anyone can ask. Um, I wonder if there are people here who've never kind of taken, it, taken him at his word and put it into practice. And so the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that prayer. And if you'd like to, then join with me. You can say amen quietly to yourself. I mean, I think it's a prayer for all of us, even those who have discovered that Jesus really is the way to the Father. Because we all want more. And it's a useful reminder that there is that promise. We can know the Father through him. So I'm going to pray that now. Jesus, it staggers us, this claim that you make, that you can, you are the bridge. You are the only bridge between earth and heaven. 
You are the ladder. You are the access, the portal, the, the, the only opportunity that we have to encounter the Father's presence. And it's such an outrageous claim that, that uh, it's easy to be skeptical. It seems too, too much to claim. But deep within us, it's something we long for. We all long to know the Father, to know if he's there, to experience his love, to find out for ourselves. And so I ask Jesus that y you wouldn't just be a bridge in theory. This wouldn't just be a kind of objective truth. But I ask that uh, you would be a bridge for me. That you would enable me to have access to the Father. That you would take me to him, that you bring him to me. That I would experience his presence. And that I would taste heaven. That I would live in the Father's house. Thank you. Amen. So, uh, one final thing to say. Uh, Chris mentioned, uh, I'm I do these kind of monthly how to read the Bible podcasts. Um, we're in the middle of a series on 1 Timothy, but we're going to press pause on that and just take a couple of months to look at John's Gospel to kind of support what I'm doing on Sunday mornings because there's a lot more to say about how to read John's Gospel and how to kind of bring to the surface all this stuff that's hidden and kind of mysterious underneath. So that's it. Thanks for having me.